That song reminds me of camp. I can picture uh, singing that song with 100 teenagers in Ironwood Springs or uh, Big Sandy. And there's nothing quite like that um, in my previous life as youth pastor. And a bunch of you, we've done this before. How many have sang this song in the same room with me and some with the teenagers? I mean, look at this. It's just fun. And, and there's something powerful about, about this song in particular because when you see 100 teens passionately singing in the midst of God's creation about this God of wonders having experienced a real touch from him and doing this in the midst of God's creation. That's a, that's a powerful thing. So thanks for, for leading that song today. Well, I made a note here to remind myself before we dive in today with the teaching, I want to give a pitch uh, for that town hall meeting that Jennifer just mentioned. In fact, I want to stop just short of giving a guilt trip to you. Um, of going. I'll stop just short, but I really encourage you to do to, to consider it. It's a week from Wednesday, and the primary thing we're going to be talking about is what do we do when we outgrow here? Uh, at the 1045 service, if you've come recently, we've, we've been all the way to the back of the room a couple of these days, and so we're trying to figure out what comes next. And if, well, we're going to continue to grow because God's doing something special in our midst, but we want to grow in the right way, and we want to grow for the right reasons, and we would love to hear what you have to think, what you think about that. And so I would encourage you to come so we can have a, an extended discussion about, um, about what comes next once we, uh, once we fill um, that, that 1045 service. And this, this service has been growing too, so, so we'll be talking about that. Uh, so just the only, it's real simple, all you have to do is RSVP to me, and, uh, and we'll take it from there. All right, well today, let's get into our teaching. Today is week one in a brand new series, and every August, as Jennifer mentioned, we invite the kids in. And, and so we try to pick a topic in August that, that both relates to both adults and to also to kids. And what we're going to do this August is we're going to do our best to answer some questions that kids and teens and grown-ups have all asked or asked from time to time. Questions about God, faith, and Christianity in general. We've taken on a whole lot of questions before. Here in, in the back of your, your green note page, you can see the questions that we'll be taking on uh, in this series that starts today. And here is the question. We're gonna, each week we'll take a question. Here's the one we're going to look at today. Here's one way of wording it. Um, why can't we see God? But let's click to the next slide. Here's, here's a little more blown out way that we could ask the question that we're going to wrestle with today. If God is real and he wants to be known... Why doesn't he simply reveal himself in an undeniable way? That's the question we're going to take on and answer with complete definitiveness, right? <laughs> no. But we'll do our best. Um, if God is real and wants to be known, why does he simply reveal himself in an undeniable way? Here's how another person put this. A guy named Ed. Ed, Ed writes this. He says, okay, why does God put us in a position where we have to try to believe in him? Why does he toy with mankind, teasing us with evidence that's good enough to make us uncomfortable, but never coming directly out and making himself clear? It seems to me that an all-powerful God could do a much better job convincing people of his existence. Just write it across the sky. Here's your proof, Ed. Believe in me sincerely, the Almighty. If God did that, Ed says... I would be on my knees. Right. <laughs> now, I bet I'm not the only person in this room that resonates with, with, uh, with Ed's logic. As we grow older, we become increasingly skeptical of things that we can't personally validate. Right? 
As we grow older, that starts to happen. You know, growing up, I never saw some of the things that you see in the Bible. I never saw waters miraculously part. I never heard a donkey talk. I never saw anyone summon fire from the heavens, although that would have been really cool. I never saw a blind person regain their sight. And as I transitioned into my teen years, which is true for so many people, I began to develop a bias against belief. I began to have reasons why I didn't want this to be true. If I were able to dismiss the Bible as simply a collection of opinions and myths and legends, if I could do that, if I could just say the Bible, it's just opinions, it's just myths, it's just legends, it's all outdated stuff. If I could do that, then I could just go my own way. And I could do all the things that I thought I wanted to do. But if the Bible was true, then there was a compelling reason for me to follow Jesus wherever he led. With so much on the line, you know, as, as a teen, I mean, my decisions were on the line, my career, everything. I often did wonder why. Why doesn't God confirm his existence in some undeniable way? Why didn't he just write a message in the cloud saying, yeah, Chris, I'm real. I'm here. Yes, Chris, the Bible is the truth. Yes, Chris, I'm calling you to work for me full time. And yes, Chris, listen to what your youth director says. Nothing good comes out of middle school dating. You know, why didn't he just write it in the sky and make it just clear, right? Now, as I grew older, questions continued. They, they shifted when I came to a personal faith, but the questions still continued. And I remember one of my first years on the job at a large charismatic church. One of my first, it was in my first year, I think, in, in, on the job there. Now, I'd never, I'd never been a part of a team like this. I'd never part of, been a part of a church like this where God was working in miraculous ways. I'd never been a part of that. And I remember being in this Bible study, and the topic of the Bible study was miracles still happening. And so here I am, I'm the youngest guy in the room, and I'm with all these pastors and all these, these, these guys, these men of God, who all were telling their stories of miracles that they'd seen and miracles they'd witnessed and miracles they'd prayed for. And I thought, this is great. And so I said, I got an object lesson for you. Because I got this broken finger that I broke playing football. And there's some times where I'm a stinker this way, but this time I wasn't being a stinker. This time I was like sincere. I said, let's do this right now. Let's, let's pray the way you're saying to pray. Let's, let's, let's experience this because I've never personally experienced something like this. So I put my hand in the middle of the table. I said, let's do this. And they said, okay. So they prayed the way that, that they said you're supposed to pray. And, and I was with as much sincerity and, 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 and faith as I could muster. I'm like, okay, God, you can do this. Do this. This would be so cool. I would have this story and all. And, 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 and nothing. Nothing. I didn't feel tingly. And, and I remember, you know, in my mind saying, I'm not, this, doesn't, this doesn't weaken my faith in God. But why not? You know, why not God? Why not give me this sign that I could not deny? If all of a sudden my broken finger got straight, I could, I could say that would be an undeniable thing. Why didn't God do that? I believed he was capable, and I still do, of healing my finger. Would, I, would that have strengthened my faith? At the time, I would have said, yes, that would have been lock-solid strengthening faith stuff. So why didn't he? You know, there's still a lot that I don't understand about God. There are still even seasons, there's seasons, sometimes long seasons, where God feels distant or God feels like he's detached from my everyday life. Those, 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 those seasons are there, those times are there, those questions are there. But this much I know, this much I know, God has made himself known. God continues to make 
himself known. And God will make himself known if those people who seek God seek the God who is and don't seek a God who conforms to their expectations. Now, that's where we're going to end up. Let's start the journey there, and let's start the journey there right here. If you have your notes, please pull them out, your note page, your green note page, and please write this down. We're going to make a couple statements about wise people. Is this the only things that wise people do? No, but here are some things that wise people do that pertains to the question that we're getting at. And the reason we're taking this approach is I think sometimes what people do is is they, they place expectations on God that are categorically different than expectations they place on others when it comes to how you discern truth. For instance, wise people know that their senses can be tricked. I think one of the reasons that God doesn't exclusively rely on miraculous signs for demonstrating who he is is because people know their senses can be tricked. Now, speaking of tricks, i got a helper here today. I want to invite the amazing Andra to come forward. Let's give the amazing Andra a hand here. And the amazing Andra is going to do a couple tricks here for us today. Take it away. All right. For my first trick, I'm going to need a helper from the audience. Come on. We need help from the audience. There we go. There's one coming right up. Nice. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. I'm going to need you to check if there's any, like, Secret compartments or anything in that? Nope. All right, you can go back to your seat. That's it. Wow, nice job. Thank you, sister. No trap doors, no secret compartments. All right. right. Now, what are you going to do for this trip? I'm going to make a flower appear out of this pot. All right. Abracadabra, alakazam. For my second trick, I'll need another helper. Another volunteer. Come on, come on. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. I'm going to need you to place this object in one of these three boxes and then mix them all up. She's not going to look, right? Yeah, and then put the things on so she can't tell where they are. Mix them all up. see which one is the box with the object in it. All right. Can you get a big hand for the amazing Andra? Thanks, Andra. That was perfect. You did a great job. Now, while we reset up here, I want to show you, I mean... Your, your mind can be tricked. Your eyes can be tricked. Your senses can be tricked. Whoops, and things can fall off the stage here. There you go. Good job. Good job, Andrew. So while we're resetting up here a little bit, take a look at this insert and look at some of these things. Start with the boxes on the top and, and look at how those white dots, sometimes they look black. And then look at some of those other things while we reset. Well, I totally reset up here. Do you believe in 
strange? That is really weird. You look at those white dots and then sometimes they look black. And you look at these other shapes down here and depending on how you look at something, it can look very, very different. Can, is seeing always believing? No, seeing is not always believing. Our senses can be tricked. In fact, Jesus warned on multiple occasions. Did Jesus do miraculous signs and wonders? Yes. But Jesus warned on numerous occasions not to let your faith rest in what you see or not to place your faith exclusively in what you see, even if what you see appears to be a miracle. Here's an example of that. This is from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 13, starting with verse 5. It's a summary of several verses. And these are the words of Jesus. He's talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, watch out that no one what? Deceives you. You could be deceived. Your eyes can fool you. Your, your mind can fool you. Your ears can fool you. What you touch, what you see can fool you. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. At that time, if someone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs, false prophets will appear and perform what? Signs and wonders. The, even these, these false teachers can perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Seeing is not always believing. Even miraculous signs. Even miraculous signs can be misleading. Consider those bottom three illustrations. You know, what, what can happen is you can have one thing that is a, a legitimate miraculous sign from God, and then you can see it, but then say, well, if you look at it this way, it's not a miraculous sign. Or you can have something that is not a miraculous sign from God, but yet you interpret it as such. So a lot of times perception can throw us off rather than confirm. And, and Jesus himself is quoted as saying, or I should say what Jesus is quoted as saying here is consistent with other teachings that Jesus taught. One of the things that he taught is that we have an adversary, one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And according to an eyewitness named John, he said that Jesus said these words, that he called him the father of lies. He called our adversary the father of lies. He's an enemy of humankind who attempts to deceive us. And here's one of the ways that we can counter his deception. This comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verse, uh, verses 1 through 5. So let's take a look at this. If you have your Bibles, let's open up John 10, 1 through 5. Um, as we're turning here, I want to let you know that we keep a stack of Bibles each week. We put them on those tables right by each of the doors, and they're for you. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd encourage you to, to take one free of charge, um, and, and you can keep it, not just to use here in the service, but to have at home. All right, here's what it says in John chapter 10, uh, starting the first one. Very truly I tell you, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, they're a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep will listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep will follow him, because they know what? His voice. They know his voice, but they never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, back in the day, in that time, in that place, when, when sheep were a valuable asset, one of the things that you would do if you owned sheep is you'd appoint a gatekeeper to watch over your sheep by night. 
And when morning would come, the shepherd would show up to lead the sheep out for breakfast. The gatekeeper would let the shepherd pass. And as soon as the sheep would hear the shepherd's voice, they would follow him out. And if some sneaky guy was hiding in the bushes saying, Hey, sheep, over here. Are the sheep going to listen to sneaky guy? No, sheep aren't going to listen to sneaky guy. And sheep are not the brightest creatures in God's creation. You ever spend time around sheep? They're not the smartest creatures ever to creaturate. And if they can learn to distinguish between competing voices, if a sheep can learn the voice of the shepherd, then we can as well. We can also. If you want to see God, if you want to validate his experience with an internal validation that says, yeah, this is God. No, this isn't God. This sign and wonder, yep, God, this one not. Not seeing a sign and wonder, you know what? God's still at work. If you want to validate that, his existence internally, then Jesus discourages would-be follower from just chasing simply after signs and wonders. Our senses can be tricked. The emphasis in Scripture instead is on pursuing a real relationship with God where the internal verification of the Holy Spirit can help us discern how to best interpret what we see and hear and feel. God wants to bring you to a place where you can learn to discern. Okay, God is at work here. I can see God even if I can't see him with my eyes. All right, so there's one reason. One reason why I believe God doesn't rely exclusively on the visible manifestations. But here's another. Here's another reason why I caution you against putting all your eggs in the, if I can't see God, I can't believe in a basket. All right, here's another reason. Here's another thing that wise people do. Wise people know when to place their trust in that which is unseen. How many of you guys have faith in things you don't see? Okay, you, you all do. You all do. You're, you're, you're a hypocrite or a fool if you don't place your faith in some things that are unseen. That sounds harsh, but just go with me here. Although it sounds unbelievable, I believe some marathon runners have run more than 26 miles in less than two hours and 10 minutes. That seems unbelievable to me. But it's, I, I believe it's true. I've never seen it with my own eyes, but I believe it's true based on the evidence. Although it sounds unbelievable, I believe Jimmy Chestnut ate more than 60 hot dogs in 10 minutes. That doesn't make sense. The physics do not seem to add up. I studied anatomy and physiology. This does not seem possible. 60 hot dogs in 10 minutes? 200-pound guy? Doesn't seem possible. But I, I choose to believe it. I believe there's enough credible evidence to support that claim. I believe Abraham Lincoln was a real person. Did I ever meet him? Did I ever see him with my own eyes? No. But I believe there's enough credible evidence to substantiate that claim. Everyone in this room puts faith in things they don't see every day. We have to. You have, and what a wise person does is says, I don't believe everything I hear, but what I do is I weigh the evidence. I consider the source. I look for whether or not this is a credible claim before I place my faith in it. You can't go through life without placing your faith in some things that you personally haven't seen. Wise people learn how to make good decisions based on the evidence. And related to this, sometimes what we do is we place our faith in things that can't be seen, but because we can look at the effects. I've heard different people say wind is like that. You don't see wind. You see the effects of the wind. And I would present to you that there's not a corner of this world where God isn't visible in some way for those who have eyes to see. All right, here's a third challenge to a person who refuses to believe in God. A third challenge to a person says, I'm only going to believe in God if I can see God with my own eyes or see some miraculous sign. Here's a third challenge to that. 
Wise people, and there's a place to write this in your notes, wise people ask for appropriate proofs. Wise people ask for appropriate proofs. How many of you believe in Wi-Fi? Show of hands? About three-fourths? Really? You are a skeptical bunch. Good luck me convincing you of anything. All right, most people, you know, in American way, we believe in Wi-Fi. Can you see Wi-Fi? No, you, you, you can't exactly see Wi-Fi. I brought my phone up here with me, um, but I believe in Wi-Fi in part because I, I, you can interact with, with, with Wi-Fi. Um, if I wanted to know the temperature, for instance, in El Paso, Texas right now, I could go and use Wi-Fi and find out that it is 82 degrees right now in El Paso. I couldn't discern that without the help of Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi helps me to know, uh, to know these types of things. Now, Wi-Fi is amazing, but Wi-Fi has its limits. And there's some things that are just inappropriate to ask of Wi-Fi. How many of you have ever been to Mavericks in Roseville? That sandwich shop. Good sandwiches, huh? Love their sandwiches. Now, um, what if I said, I'm only going to believe in you, Wi-Fi, if you can make a pulled pork and provolone sandwich appear right in front of me right now? I'll only believe in you if you can do that. You know, Wi-Fi doesn't think the way people think, but if Wi-Fi could think the way Wi-Fi thinks, Wi-Fi said, hey, I could show you the website. I can give you directions. I can pull up their menu probably. And based on the organization and, and the specifics, I, I, you might even be able to use me to place an order. You might even be able to use me to, to pay for your food. But you know what? I don't do that. I don't make food just appear in front of you. You know, what kind of person is going to say, well, then Wi-Fi, I refuse to believe in you. You do not exist because I put this condition on you. I'm asking for this particular proof from you, and you didn't meet it, so therefore I'm not going to believe in you. Nobody does it with Wi-Fi. But you might argue, oh, wait a minute, apples and oranges here. Wi-Fi and God, Wi-Fi is limited. You say that God is not limited. God is all-knowing. God has a, a desire, you say, to want to get to know me, to, for me to want to put my faith in him. So, so this is totally different. An all-knowing, all-powerful God who cares about me is more than able and more than motivated to pull off my request if I'm asking for a proof. Well, here's the thing. A lot of people, they, they don't follow their own logic to the natural conclusion. If God is all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, do you think there's a chance that God might know more than we know? Do you think there's a chance that your proof might not be as undeniable as you think it is? Is there a chance that your proof might set off other things in motions that shouldn't be set off? Is it, is it possible that, that there are reasons why God is not playing magic show with you? If God is all-knowing, if, if God is who he says he is, is it possible? Um, I want to show you something if you want to get your Bibles back out. Let's take a look at uh, Job, Job 38. I, I, if we had more time, I would read... The four chapters that start right here. I need this reminder sometimes. When I, I, when I stop and I say, God, why don't you do this? This is simple for you. This looks like something you want to do. You say, pray according to your name. According to your will, it'll be done. This appears as though this would be according to your will. Why don't you do it? This is a section um, of the Bible where, previous to this, uh, Job and others have some questions and speculations about God. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And then God speaks. And these are some of the select quotes here from there. Um, not necessarily the best ones, but, but just some things that God says as he responds to these people that have questions about him, that think, you know, this is how God is, or this is how he should be. 
Job 38, uh, verses 2, let's look first, 2 through 7. This is God speaking. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together? And all the stars shouted for joy. And again, we could just go all four chapters, but let me jump ahead. Uh, verse 16 through 18. Hey, hey, Job, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the depths? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know this. Jumping ahead to verse, oh, just moving on to verse 19, we'll go through 21. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know you're already born. You've lived so many years. You know, there are times where, where, where God's answer is, you're not God. There are times where he clearly helps us understand and re, and, and his ways and, and why he does things, but there's also times where he, he's God and, and, and we're not. And this goes on for four chapters. And at the end of those four chapters of, hey, where were you this? Where were you this? Job's like, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. You know, when we were kids, I, I say this frequently here, but it's so important for us to remember this. When we were kids, our parents made us do things we didn't understand, like eat healthy foods and get vaccinated and brush our teeth and wear our seatbelts. And I was reminded of, of, of one time when me and a couple of my buddies, we were walking out of the house and I had my BB gun with me. And my dad saw me walking out of the house with my BB gun and my buddies. And he said, Chris, where are you going? And I said, well, we're going to have a BB gun fight. And, and, and then, you know, being about this tall and, and knowing everything, I, uh, I said to my dad, oh, but dad, we got it figured out. We're going to wear sunglasses, so it's all good. You know, dad, you foolish, worrying person, you. And then my dad, in this stroke of wisdom, he didn't just give me this big lecture about how ridiculous an idea that was. Um, he just said, well, then why don't you just take the 22 and wear a bulletproof vest? And I said, got nothing. I'll go put my gun away. You know, there, there's these other layers of wisdom. You know, we think we have things figured out often. And we think this is the way it is. And, and I've, I've thought through everything. And, and here's why things should be the way they should be. But there's a deeper wisdom that comes from God that we can tap into, but we always won't fully understand. If God is who the Bible describes him to be, he has a wisdom that is far beyond our own. He is not a God who conforms to our expectations. In fact, he's much more likely to shatter them. Just when you think you got God figured out, he tends to, to, to shatter that paradigm, except on a couple key things. If you're serious about seeking God, please take a moment. If you haven't already, please write this down. Wise people seek the God who is, rather than a God who conforms to their expectations. And... and this is something that I fall into. This is something that, that I think everyone falls into from time to time, and we need to correct and, and seek the God who is rather than a God who conforms to our expectations. A wise person adjusts to reality. A fool accepts, expects reality to adjust to them. I know a lot of really smart people who deny the existence of God for foolish reasons. 
reasons that they, that they wouldn't use that logic anywhere else. If you're serious about seeking the God who is, rather than the God who conforms to your expectations, here's a few places where God himself encourages us to start through his written word. Here's, here's just a couple examples. Now, we, we don't have time to, to go into all of these in detail, but here's just a couple different places. In fact, at different times, we take these on as a series in and of themselves. If you're searching for God, here are some, some thoughts that come from the scriptures themselves. Seek God with all your heart. If you really want to seek him, seek him with all your heart, he says. If you want to seek him, reflect on his creation. Science and Christianity are not incompatible. They're not incompatible. Hang around, number three, hang around with authentic disciples of Jesus. You know what? One of the byproducts there, if you want to see something miraculous, hang around those folks. Things will happen around those folks that you can't understand otherwise. Plus, you'll see things about, about God's character and who he is and his transforming power if you hang around them. Number four, carefully, carefully observe God-honoring marriages. We just got done talking about this. Four weeks. God is at work in God-honoring marriages. You can learn things about God through a God-honoring marriage. Serve the poor in God-honoring ways. When you reach out to them, Jesus says, when you've done this, to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. Practice biblical financial stewardship. That might seem weird, but read those scriptures and, and, and consider trying that. Number seven, seek the filling of the Holy Spirit who leads us to truth. Number eight, investigate the historicity and implications of the empty tomb. Kids, all that means is, is there's history that backs up our faith. And, and if it is true that there was a man named Jesus, he really lived, and he, he appears to have been dead, and then he's not in the tomb anymore, there's implications for that. Well, the one I want to zero in here now, with the last couple minutes we have left, is number nine. And this is one I keep coming back to, but one of the reasons I keep coming back to this is it's a more practicable and tangible way to start for most people. Again, we could spend a month or more on any of those other ones. We could add to this list, too. We have spent a month or more on some of them. But in our last few minutes together, I'd just like to highlight number nine. Read the Bible. Amen. As I've grown older, I've become increasingly skeptical of most media outlets. I've become increasingly skeptical of most authority figures, including those in the church. As I've grown older, I've just, my skepticism is higher and higher than it's ever been. The opposite is true when it comes to the Bible. The more I've studied that book, the more I've read that book, the more I've applied its principles, the more confidence I have that this book is like no other book. The Bible is like no other book. It is filled with names and places and dates and facts that archaeological studies and discoveries continue to verify. It also describes our world, especially the human condition, in a, in a way that is, that is different, and I would say better, with a precision that I've seen in no other source. And when I apply the Bible's teachings, even the counterintuitive ones, my life is qualitatively better than when I ignore them. If you want to know God, read and reflect on and study and discuss this one-of-a-kind book. I've said it before, I'll say it again and again and again and again. As a reminder to myself, as much as anyone else, reading this book is hearing. You say, I don't hear God, read. It's his written word. Reading is also seeing. Reading this book is also seeing. Through God's written word, we can see him at work 
in and through people. We're given glimpses of God's thoughts and conversations. We're let in on God's conversations in that book. Conversations with angels. Conversations with fallen angels. Conversations with men and women from all different stages of life in all kinds of different circumstances. It's a book like no other book. So let's take a look here real quick at Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Um, Actually, we're just going to look at uh, I'd encourage you to read that whole section, but I just want to focus in on, on verses 27 through 30 here. And this is a passage we reference frequently when it comes to these types of things because it just it's, it's made so clear here in terms of what God would encourage us to do and as well as how God sees things. All right, this is uh, Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 27. And what's going on here in this is this is a story. Now, a, a lot of the Bible is historical fact. There are also some stories in here, and this is a story that Jesus is telling. He's telling this story, and, and, and he's trying to make a point through this story. And he's telling the story of this rich man who seemed to have everything going for him. Rich man dies. Rich man enters into eternity, but rich man enters eternity where you don't want to be entering eternity. And rich man in a place of torment can see those who are a part of this kingdom of heaven. And so that's what's going on here. And he references a man named Lazarus who was a poor man who had also died, but this poor man had gone uh, to be with God in the kingdom of heaven. All right, here we go. So he, he says then, this rich man goes, I, I beg you, Father, and he's talking to Abraham right now. He sees Abraham on the other side, and he says, I beg you, Abraham, send Lazarus back into earth to my family. For I've got five brothers who are still alive on earth. Let Lazarus warn them so that they will not also come to this place where I am of torment. And Abraham replies, hey, they've got Moses and the prophets, meaning they've got these written words about God. Let, him, let, let those brothers listen to those words. No, 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 Father Abraham, says this rich man. He says, if somebody from the dead goes to them, ha, huh, they're going to believe that. They're not going to believe just written words. But if someone comes from the dead, they'll believe that. And Abraham says to this guy, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, again, in our heads, we go, what are you talking about? If I saw somebody rise from the dead, if anybody saw someone rise from the dead, they're going to believe that. That is undeniable. That is convincing. That that ends it. Well, what Jesus says here, this isn't just speculation. If you were to flip back to Matthew 28, take a look at this. This comes after Jesus' death, after his, his resurrection. Look at, look at what happens. This, now we're not getting into story. Now we're getting into what is transmitted to us told to us as if, as if this really happened. Then the 11 disciples, after the, his death and resurrection, they go to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some what? Doubted. Some doubted. They doubted a dead guy coming back to life? Yep. This isn't the only time that happened either. It happened with a different Lazarus. And you might think, well, that would not happen to me. Well, Miracles are not as convincing as we think miracles would be, as as convincing as we think they would otherwise be. There were some who literally saw Jesus raised from the dead, and they doubted. You know, how much more proof can God give? Impressions fade over time. And we all know this, right? Every time I attend a funeral, I'm going to be attending um, uh, uh, a visitation later today. Every time... I go to a funeral. I, I come back saying, save her every minute. Save her every minute. Save her every minute. And that lasts for a while. 
you know, every time I do a series on marriage, Laura sometimes is like, you know, it's good when you do those series on marriage because you're nicer to me. And, and, you know, we do a series on marriage and I'm like, oh, I got to apply these principles and I want to apply these principles. You know, and, and, and then you get distracted from that. And every time I officiate a wedding, I, I think, oh, man, someday my girls are going to be going, you know, many of you can relate to this, right? Someday my girls are going to be going, or sons are going to be going up the aisle, you know, save for every minute, save for every minute. And then the impact of that moment fades. Some people have had a really bad experience, say, with alcohol, and they say, never, never, never again. Never again am I going to drink, you know, but that fades over time. And some people overspend. And they're like, oh, never again. Cut up my credit cards. And that lasts until the next sale. You know? Or, you, or you're, maybe you've had this happen. You're in a car and there's a, you're, you're distracted for a moment, near collision. You're, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, 10 and 2, 9 and 3, whatever the latest is. I'm just going to be focused and attentive. And over time, our attendance stays. What is true for those things tends to be true for the miraculous for most people. What, what tends to be true? Miracles tend to be the same way. God still performs signs and wonders and miracles, but God understands their limitations. What was true for people in the Bible who saw pretty remarkable things is true for us as well. Over time, a miracle can start to look like these little things here at the bottom of your insert. At one point, you see the bunny. That's an, that was a miracle. Time passes. Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I was tricked. Maybe it wasn't exactly how I remember it. Maybe there was another explanation. That tends to happen, not with everybody, but with most people when it comes to the miraculous. Almost anything, the impact of almost anything, even a miraculous sign, tends to fade over time. And that which we would have once put in the category of undeniable becomes explained away. God desires, you've probably heard this before if if you hang around churches, God desires a real relationship with us. He desires a real relationship with us. Magic tricks, for the most part, will distract you from that end. If God's goal were to scare you into submission, believe this or else, maybe we'd see more miracles. But the God of the Bible doesn't desire obedience that's inseparable from fear or or coercion. He's an almighty God. He's a righteous judge. But he's also a God of great mercy and love. And love, if love's going to be a two-way thing, it's got to be chosen. If love is going to be a two-way thing, it's got to be chosen. And if love is going to be sincere, you can't give everyone everything they want or everything they expect if that's not the right thing to do. Do you want to know God's real? Do you want to gain this internal verification that is akin to a sheep recognizing the voice of its shepherd? I think we've got a, a good starting point for you. Seek him with all your heart. Really go after this. Really seek God with your heart, not just prove to me. Reflect on his creation. Hang around authentic disciples of Jesus. Carefully observe God-honoring marriage. Serve the poor in God-honoring ways. Treat your money and things like they're his money and things. Seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Investigate the historicity, implications of the tomb, and explore his written word. These are some great starting points if you want to really search for God. And you'll find when it comes to seeing God, there's enough light for those who want to see. It's interesting. I want to close with this. Remember that uh, quote from that guy named Ed that we did earlier? The guy who's like, hey, you know what's going to take? It's going to take, I need to see it written in the sky. That guy became a believer. He's the son of a local pastor named Greg Boyd. 
And I would highly recommend the book Letters from a Skeptic. I put a number of books in your notes to take a look at. And what that whole book is about is he starts a conversation with his dad who has all kinds of questions for God. All kinds of questions. Good questions. And for those who sincerely seek, there's answers out there. And this guy, Ed, he received Christ. And meaning this, he put his trust, his faith in Jesus of Nazareth. And now Ed's um, no longer alive here on earth, but now Ed gets to live forever in eternity with God. Ed is among billions of people from all walks of life, from every generation and every continent, young and old, rich and poor, blue collar, white collar, artists, warriors, doctors, scientists, lawyers, musicians, men, women. Ed is one among billions who now believe in the God who is. And because Ed placed his trust in Christ before he died, his sins were forgiven, and that which needed to be repaired between Ed and God got fixed. And again, you might be thinking in your head, well, come on, if God is real, there's probably some other way. Why does it take that? Why, you know, and you could go all those kind of questions and all that kind of pushback. The Bible reveals a God who this is how he does things. The Bible reveals a God who forgives the sins of those who sincerely repent and set out to follow him. That's, that's the God who is. And you can make up a God who either doesn't believe in sin or, or has some other system for dealing with sin. But the God who is says to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you sinned against him, and then to, to put your trust in him. And, and trust in him means, okay, I'm going to follow you now, God. That's the God who reveals himself. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that. When you walked in, you might have noticed in the, in the front here, we have a, a, a table set. And this is, we're going to observe something called the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion, the Eucharist. What we're going to be doing right now is give you an opportunity to respond to this. To respond to this. We're going to pray together, and we've got prayers that will do those very things that we said. You can, you, you can use your own words. I encourage you to use your own words. They're, these aren't magic words. But these are some words that, that we can use to, to tell God, I'm sorry, we have sinned against you. They're all, also words that can thank him for his sacrifice on the cross. These are words where we can say, now we're going to put our trust in you, and, and with your help, we're going to set out to follow you. So we want to invite you to pray, the, pray those prayers with us. And then when we're done, I'm going to invite the servers, communion servers, to come forward, and we'll serve them. And then we'll have one group of servers go off to that side, and one group of servers go off to this side. And then rather than having ushers tell you when to come up, we're just going to encourage you at some point during these two songs, if you, if you would want to join us here, we would invite you to just to... To, to stand up where you are and just say, excuse me, and, and walk down the center aisle and receive communion. There will also be people who would love to pray with you. Look for someone with a purple tag around their neck. They'd, they'd be glad to pray with you, too. So let's do that. Let's, let's enter into a time of prayer um, and preparing ourselves, and then let's come to the Lord's table today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please pray with me, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways 
to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Let's consecrate this time. Father, we, we, we do pray that now you'll make this time holy. That you'll make this time holy. Holy Spirit, forgive me for, for words or tones that came from my mouth that, that were alienating rather than helpful to people. Lord, I pray that no one in this room feels insulted, but rather they'll, they'll weigh out the merit of, of what you would say to them. So Holy Spirit, you could do what, what I can't, and, and you could speak to them from within. And, and so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open up minds and open up hearts and open up ears to sincerely seek you right now in this moment. And, and Father, we pray that you draw us, those who know you and those who don't, draw us to your table now where we can receive through faith, forgiveness, reconciliation, where you can take all that's broken and, and begin the process of making it right, actually making it right in the heavenlies and now helping us to make it right as we walk it out here on earth. So Lord, let this time be more, in fact, don't let this time be symbolic. Don't let this time be a ritual. Don't let this time be anything other than, than a, a time where we sincerely come to you and offer ourselves wholly. A time where we can leave behind that which shouldn't leave this room with us. A time where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. A time where people who have lost their way can start the trip home. A place where those of us who are off course can, can get back on track. Lord, we all need you right now. We all do. And, and we come to you humbly, Father, asking for your help, thankful for your forgiveness, and excited, Father, about what you can do. What, what people could see in us if we fully yield ourselves to you. So we do that now, Father. And we, we pray a prayer, a prayer of solidarity that you taught your disciples to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.